Y'all can grab a seat. Uh, you might have noticed it's getting a little Christmassy around these parts. Uh, we, we like to do it up. We don't think there's, we can't really play the music loud enough or, or make enough lights to give God what God deserves. So, but we do our best to try. Uh, we have coming up tonight, if you are a student or know a student or uh, just if you have, whether you've been a part of our student ministry or not, you are invited tonight to a meal. They're going to be celebrating Friendsgiving tonight. So all middle school, high school students are invited to that. It's a good on-ramp if you never jumped in and tried it. Uh, just come. There'll be like, there'll be snacks and food and cups there to hold in case you feel weird about it. So tell your kids to, to come for that uh, Friendsgiving tonight. Uh, also, we're not going to tell you exactly what our theme is for Christmas Eve because we want to pay our proper respects to Thanksgiving first. Uh, so we're going to hold off on what uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve services are going to look like, but we do want you to know their time. Uh, so just take a take a look at the side screens. All the times are going to be up there. This is actually our Christmas series. is just going to be about joy because we figure uh, that's a good thing for us to revisit every year is how Jesus brings joy all year round. So make a plan to join us uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve at one of those times. Make a plan to bring friends. Uh, there'll hopefully be plenty of room for you here uh, over Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve. Now, uh, we are, it is City Lights Day. And I am excited that it's City Lights Day because I got a sweatshirt. Uh, but even more than that, uh, I think all throughout the pages of Scripture, there are two big calls on the people of God. Uh, to love God and to love your neighbor. And over thousands of years, over three or four different languages, over the course of world crises and world wars, God just keeps coming back to this refrain, this chorus in the song, you should seek to love the one who made you. And you should seek to love all the other ones that God made. And that there's nobody outside of that category. That you should love God and love your neighbor. And City Lights was this thing that we realized has a church, we need to be better at the love your neighbor part. Because in the story of God, those things are intertwined all the time. You cannot have one without the other. They are the peanut butter and jelly of the Bible. You have to love God and love your neighbor. And I want us to just sit with that word neighbor, because I imagine that it, it maybe stirs up some stories in you. The neighbor's are the source of a few different things. Neighbors are the source of conflict. Anybody know that? You guys, I'm not telling you, you know that, right? Uh, my parents lived in the same house for over 50 years, and they had neighbors that they shared for 40 of those years. And they had 40 years of, like, swapping recipes, of, like, exchanging tools, of talking over the fence, like 40 years of life together in the same houses, having their kids around the same time, 40 years of that. But every once in a while, it would come up that in the early days of their being neighbors, there was three feet that were in dispute. That the neighbors uh, proactively put a fence up and stole three feet of the Buffington land. And every once in a while, it would come up. It was like, I haven't actually watched Yellowstone, but I feel like... I already have lived it because I would hear about uh, three feet. And every once in a while, there was a strip of that in the front yard where there was no fence, but it was clearly like part of what they had stolen from us. 
And every once in a while, I feel like my parents would just not mow that part. Just a teeny tiny little revenge. Neighbors are the source of uh, great conflict. I don't think I have to tell you uh, about that. I imagine you know. And this works out in micro and macro ways, right? We all probably have disputes. The neighbor parked in the place where we don't want the neighbor to park. The, the neighbor is not weeding their yard like we would weed the yard if it were our yard. The, there are all these micro conflicts, but there are macro conflicts. There are times when that three feet, uh, people will drop bombs over that three feet. People will wage wars over somebody's fence being built a little uh, too uh, close to their house. I think we know that. Neighbors are a source of conflict. It escalates sometimes to wars. But neighbors are also a source of great care. Maybe you can think of times where a neighbor has stepped in and helped you. Uh, I have some friends who just uh, got a farm up in Springfield. That was their, their COVID <laughs> purchase was a farm. And they have had to lean on their neighbors to fix their tractor, uh, to teach them how to kill chickens, to teach them what their donkeys needed. Like, and they have found this great community where every time they ask, they receive out there. That every time they have some need, they've been able to find somebody who was more than happy to meet that need. I hope maybe you have known that neighbors can be a source of great care. My parents, the neighborhood that they lived in for those 50 some years uh, was just featured not too long ago in the USA Today, has the most diverse zip code in America. Uh, that it was, when I was growing up, it was sort of diverse, but then over the years, uh, there was several refugee settlements in their neighborhood, but the people who were already there just stayed. And so it was, it's one of the most diverse zip codes in America because people didn't move away. They just kind of stayed and tried to figure it out. And I'll just tell you that in the last few years of my parents' life, they, they needed their neighbors so badly. And uh, my dad, one time, he decided he was going to shovel the snow, fell at the end of the driveway, and just kind of had to wait for somebody to come along. And would you know it? Somebody came along, helped him up, got him back in the house. Uh, my mom, in the early stages of Alzheimer's, she was still taking walks. But she was having trouble with her eyesight. She was having balance problems. And so she was you know, a half mile from the house and stumbles on the uneven sidewalk. And her face is just bloodied and bruised. And some stranger whose name and face I do not know got her home and got and called my dad and got him home for her. And it was so vulnerable, but it was like this place of just trusting that the love would show up, right? That, that even though there were disputes over fences, that their neighbors would show up for them. Neighbors were a source of care. Uh, during COVID, my two best friends were a dog walker named Tom, who I would just see all the time. We'd wave as we were walking our dogs. Uh, and a little 10-year-old girl who would wave at me. I think she was actually waving at my dog, but he doesn't have hands. So I would wave back on his behalf. But she was like my best friend during COVID. We've never even talked. But every morning, we love each other by waving at each other uh, across, across the way. I hope you know that neighbors can be a source of great care. And I think we all know that neighbors can also be a source of mystery. What are they, what are they doing over there? Neighbors, that's the first reality show, is the neighbor's house, right? Uh, I, I got to live in downtown Cincinnati for a while, and there was a woman who, I, think, I might have told this story before, there was a woman who I would see almost every day, and she was just searching for something. Her eyes were always down. 
she would look through every trash can, every gutter. You couldn't distract her. We tried to talk to her a couple times, see what she, she needed help, and maybe, like, help her find the things she was looking for. But she was very focused. And I don't know if she had, like, a language problem or, like, a survival problem. I don't, I don't know what she was looking for. But I love to imagine that she was, like, searching for a lost ring or something. You know, that she wasn't looking for cigarette butts. Uh, but she was looking for, like, a lost treasure every day. She was a source of great mystery to me. But I would see her all the time. I knew her patterns. I, I felt like I knew something about her. But I didn't know her whole story, right? You're, you're looking in the window. You're watching their patterns. They're coming in. They're going out. And they're a source of mystery to you. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm, I'm the only one. I don't know. Maybe you guys do, do that. Maybe you watch the neighbors. I don't know. They're a source uh, of great mystery. So I want us to think about that. When we think about neighbors, they're a source of conflict, a source of care, and also a source of mystery. One of Jesus' greatest hits uh, is a story he tells uh, about neighbors. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's the kind of story that you could go your whole life without ever stepping foot into a church, and you would still know something of this story. Because what, what have we done with this story? We've named hospitals after it. Uh, we've named like car mechanics places after it. There are there are like businesses that travel around as Good Samaritans. There are mission groups called Good Samaritan. So this story Jesus told uh, is a pretty big deal in our culture that it was such a great hit for him that it still matters. It's still the name on buildings because this story that he told changed everybody's mind about what a neighbor was. So because it's such a good story and because it's so like prolific in our world, uh, I want us to just get weird with it today. You guys ready for that? Game for it? You ready to get weird with it? All right, I want to bring out our City Lights team. Uh, because it's City Lights Day and we want to show off our sweatshirts, I'm going to bring them out. Uh, you know several of them from other contexts or from being up here doing different things, but they're going to help be my, my they're basically props. Uh, they're my, I'm, this is prop comedy, and uh, my, these people are my props. So we have Leah, who leads our City Lights. We have Steve. Uh, and Pete, to our, what's their official titles? Regional pastors for City Lights. We have Olivia, who's our student pastor hosting Friendsgiving, who stepped in to be our fifth person. So that's why she didn't get a shirt. <laughs> but yeah, she didn't get one yet, but we'll see. If she does a good job, we might get her a shirt. Uh, we have John here, who's also one of our pastors uh, and who also volunteers and leads our music with us. So they're going to be our players. And what I want to do is just read through the story uh, I've been reading this book called Rehearsing the Scriptures, which is about, like, how do you make the Bible come to life for people? How, and how do you, like, if you sit down and want to read it, or you're in a Bible study, or you have a few friends who want to get weird together on a Saturday morning and read the Bible, what do you do to bring it to life? And so this woman, uh, Anna Carter Florence, suggests rehearsing it, like almost bringing it to life like a play and embodying it. So stepping into the story and saying, what do we think's going on? in the lives of the people in the story. What? And it helps us to build empathy. It helps us to make connections to the holy things of Scripture and our regular uh, Tuesday days. So that's what we're going to practice here. And I say practice because we don't know what's about to happen, right? You guys don't know. Uh, it's not necessarily whose line is it anyway, but it could get there. We'll, we'll find out. So I'm going to read the story, and I'm going to cast it. Uh, you may know that the Good Samaritan is actually a story inside of a story. So the first thing that happens, we need a Jesus. Leah, you're going to be our Jesus. We're not, we're, we're like the Hamilton of casting. We're not into, <laughs> we're not into the demographics. We're just into embodying the role. 
Steve, you want to be our, you're a lawyer type, right? Yeah, very smart, very into books and reading and all the answers. Um, so this is what it says happens. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. You're kind of a troublemaker, Steve. See if you can embody that. See if you can feel what it would be like to be a troublemaker. Teacher, he said, <laughs> what must I do? We're about to be serious. Heaven's at stake. He said to him, uh, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, do you know? Do you know the answer? Nope. Yep. <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus squeezed that little neighbor in there uh, to make sure the point. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, uh, who exactly is my neighbor? Now, <laughs> what do you think that lawyer, what do you think he's looking for here in this answer? Kind of try to trap him in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, to see if Jesus will give a... You asked Steve yesterday. Yeah, the lawyer. Um, yeah. What do you, yeah, what do you think the lawyer's well, yeah, trying to do? You know, do? I'm just trying to see where Jesus stands on things here. Yeah, and maybe see, like, how many houses down is that? <laughs> Does that include, like, around the block? Because you know those people... Yeah, I don't want to love those people. So he's trying to sort of test Jesus. He's hoping Jesus will give an answer that gets him into trouble. Because this is a world where neighbors is not a game. Uh, neighbors could mean like causing trouble if you love the wrong neighbor. And so this is the world Jesus is answering this question in. Now, Jesus tells a story, right? Which is why we have three more players here. So let's cast this. I'm going to move over here just to keep it exciting. Isn't that exciting? Uh, no, I liked it better over here. Um, <laughs> All right, so we need we need a, a victim. Leah, yeah, you're going to be our victim. That's, there's some Christology there. I don't, I'll play with that later. You're our victim, and there is a robber. Yeah, you're getting typecast here. Uh, all right, so a man, uh, could, could you embody a man? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, we'll skip that part, <laughs> I forgot that was in there, um, <laughs> beat him and took off, leaving him half dead. Uh, so that's where we are. Yeah, you're half dead. Now let's hit pause here. Uh, how's that feel? I'm a bit vulnerable now. Yeah, yeah. And embarrassed. Yeah, and there's some shame to it probably that you did you got overtaken. Confusion. Yeah. Confusion, yeah, you were just out for... Why God? Yeah, a walk. Yeah, where's God? How okay. could this happen to you? Yeah. Steve, you're a robber. Um, I've seen the convictions. Um, what do you... What do you think? Why does this guy do this to this vulnerable person? He's broke. Yeah, maybe so. Mm -hmm. He needed the money. He's desperate himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the idea of this exercise, try to just imagine not just the, the worst of the person, but what could really be happening, right? That's, that's what Jesus is doing as he's telling the story. So we could maybe think that Robert had a, a survival thing in mind, or just maybe he's got an anger deal. 
yeah, maybe he's just so mad he needs to take out his madness on somebody else. So he goes away. He leaves our victim for dead. Now, you would think this is pretty, this is hard stuff, but don't worry because a priest is about to walk by. Who wouldn't want to have a priest walk by? Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, uh, this is not a priest, but it's about as close as you could get. A Levite, you'd be like, oh, great. Well, the priest is kind of mean, uh, but here comes a Levite. Uh, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, uh, passed by him on the other side. Now, let's just talk to these horrible people real quick. Uh Tell us what, what do you think, like how would that person, you kind of took your eyes away, right? You imagine that person maybe trying to just, if I don't see it, it's not real. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I've got church things to do. I don't have time for this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and how often does that happen? Uh, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Olivia, did you imagine any kind of motivation there into walking by? This is a lot of liability, and I don't <laughs> want to get in trouble, yeah. so not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah, exactly. That's a... Classic, classic uh, case there, yeah. And I think that thing, right, there's, if you've ever studied this story, that's a part of the motivation was if that person isn't just half dead but actually dead, you're not supposed to touch them. you got to keep your holiness in place, and you got a church meeting to get to. Yeah, all right, let's talk to our victim. How's that feel? How's that feel with the feet to just walk by? Who's going to help me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to really sit in that, right, because you, you hear the feet, and you think, oh, help, a rescue, somebody's come along, and sure. then they don't. Yeah, so I'm now even more confused and wondering what's wrong with me. Yeah, and some shame, like if there wasn't shame from getting attacked, the shame would go deeper that you weren't worthy of being helped. Uh, and I think that's important for us to draw out. But I don't know if you guys know, but the story is not done. Because a Samaritan, while traveling, we got anybody left over there, John? Come on in, you're our hero. Uh, now, important to note that uh, we hear that word Samaritan and we hear hero. But at the telling of this story, if our victim sees a Samaritan coming, that's not what she thinks. She thinks, oh, Samaritan. They're the worst. That guy's not going to stop. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, it says, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. And this oil and wine is meant to help disinfect, to clean them up. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Goes above and beyond, right? Doesn't just clean her up and feel good but goes above and beyond. Which of these three? Well, we'll come back to this in a minute. Let's stay right here. John, you had some time to think about this. What do you yes, think is your motive? What do, when you think about this story, like what stops the Samaritan? Just seeing her, seeing... A person, yeah. Seeing that person there. Yeah. And seeing them in need. And thinking to myself, I've been in a ditch before, maybe. Um, I've, in some fashion, I've been where he or she was. Yeah. And I've found joy in, in, in 
not always being somebody that chooses to say no. Yeah. Maybe I just live in the yes and I want to help you. Yep. How would it feel to finally have somebody step up and, and to feel that oil and wine kind of wash over you? Well, so I had a thought earlier when you were talking that made me say that maybe if I saw a Samaritan and I didn't like Samaritans, that maybe I would be conflicted of whether or not I even wanted that help yes. from that person. Yep. And so I'm thinking now that maybe, though, settling into it saved my life would be a real perspective change, yeah. and there would just be gratitude. Yeah, it would be humbling, right? Really? If you already yes. have a conception Still of Still probably person. embarrassing and, you know, maybe even shame for my pride, yep. but humbling for sure. Yep. All right. Now let's go back to our, our framing device here. Let's get our Jesus and our lawyer back up here. Because remember, this started as a story within a story. So the lawyer has heard this story from Jesus. And it says that Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer, who knows I've been, I've been out lawyered, uh, says... The one that showed mercy? That's right. That is the right answer. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Yeah. So how does that feel? How do you think that would Freeing. feel? Freeing. Freeing? Yeah. All right. That's to you, Steve, being maybe better than that's this That's probably, probably yeah. right. <laughs> I think the lawyer, my, I'm projecting maybe. So that's the fun part of this is that we might have different layers. Because I think if I was asking you, I really have to love the guy at three houses down. And what Jesus says is there's no limit on your neighbor. I might walk away feeling a little defeated. Yeah. But if I had a better heart, I would feel free, right? I love that. All right, let's thank our players. Let's thank our prop comics. Um, this is what I love about this story, right? Is that Jesus could have just made this so simple and easy and said, just love all the people. Just love them all. Just take care of them. Instead, Jesus told this story that opened up their imagination, right? And again, we've heard it so many times. Maybe we... We already knew the ending long before this even started. But what Jesus does is he, he invites them to imagine your worst enemy has better than you. Imagine your worst enemy, the person you think is the scum of the earth. Imagine them as being holier than holy. There's just, there's no communicator like Jesus. There's no storyteller like Jesus. And the world turns on him changing their imagination about what a neighbor is. That the, the Christian community for thousands and thousands of years has been trying to bring this story to life, has been trying to live up to this story that Jesus tells, that our neighbor, there is no limit to who our neighbor is. Now, because this is such a genius story and because Jesus is so smart, there are all these layers. I've been studying this guy, uh, Mark Allen Powell, who... He, what he does is go into different cultures and like tell them these stories and see if they hear something different and than an American audience would hear. And so he did this Good Samaritan story. He, uh, he went to several churches and different um, cultural centers in Tanzania. And he asked them, like, what do you hear in the story? And one of the, thing that they, one of the things they brought out is that if you are the person in the ditch, you don't have a lot of room to be prejudiced. That if you are the person who needs help, you don't have a lot of room to reject help. 
And what they found from the story is that God will always help, but it will often be surprising. That you think you know where God is going to show up and how God's going to work, but it will surprise you. And one of the things they brought out is that this is not just a story where the answer to who is my neighbor is whoever needs my help. Right? Maybe that's a way we could go is to say, who is our neighbor? Anybody who needs our help. But what they heard was the answer to who is my neighbor is also whoever helps me. This is a, a favorite story of Martin Luther King Jr., who also is a reverend and a preacher. We don't always pay attention to that part of his story, but he was a reverend and a good preacher, and his favorite story was this one to tell. And his big point that he would say at the end of that story was, are you ready to be rescued? Because a lot of times we hear that story and we, we almost immediately cast ourselves in the helpers, Right? Or maybe we can, we can admit with Pete that there have been times where we looked the other way. Or there have been times where it was too messy to get involved. Or we're not the person to help. But we often cast ourselves as either the helper or the not helper. We very rarely want to see ourselves as the person in the ditch. And what I want us to say as we move into talking about City Lights, the, the beautiful things that we want to do as a church Absolutely, we are going to bring light. We're going to do whatever we can to help people who are in the ditch. But I want us to hear there is a very much a way in which we are the people in the ditch. That we are the people who are caught up in our self selfishness. We are the people who are trapped in our own homes, who try to get into our garage without seeing any of our actual neighbors, who look the other way, who have better places to be than in places where we're helping. And I promise you that we need just as much rescuing as everybody else. The place where we believe that heaven meets earth is when we show up for our neighbors. We believe that the space where heaven meets earth is when we show care, when we receive care. And this, this City Lights initiative is not just about us bringing other people what we need or what they need. It is about us needing to be challenged, to be refined by what it means to love God and our neighbor at the exact same time. When we serve, absolutely we are bringing light. But I promise you that what I know you've already found in your life, what I know I have found is that when we serve, we are finding the light that already exists. We are finding what God is up to in our cities and our neighbors. And that Jesus, every time it comes to talking about love, the point of his story, the point of his life, the point of everything he says for us to do, when he is talking about love, his answer is always, you cannot do enough. You cannot love enough. When you think about your family, you're never going to reach a point where you're like, yep, that's enough love for them. That's, they've had enough. When you love a neighbor, you should never reach that point. That's about enough. When Jesus tells a story about love, there is just never enough. Take a look at what we're up to with City Lights, and take a look at what we're hoping you'll jump in with us. Our City Lights initiative started during a moment when loving our neighbors was riskier than it had ever been, and more important than it had ever been. 
our schools were going to close. Children were coming to principals crying. You know what they're afraid of? Hunger. My first reaction was, oh my gosh, how are the kids gonna eat? Restaurants and bars had been shut down, so that meant that the clubs were shut down as well. But what about these women? You know, who's gonna do it? We learned in those days just how much our lives are connected to each other and just how much it mattered for the church to be on the move. You bring me your box full, ready to go. We'll get drivers, we'll send them out with those boxes. I don't know how we're gonna do it. I don't know what's gonna go on, but we're gonna feed the kids. We're sewing masks here at Southbrook. We had a dialogue about what can be done? What can we be doing? And they said, let's feed the dancers. Then city lights came in and it was a perfect combination of everything. There were plenty of right people who were showing up at our doors, calling Southbrook and saying, what can I do? What can I help? And they were unafraid. It isn't the government. The first line of responsibility lies on the church. Today, we're still serving some of those same friends and keeping that love going. I just think it's something that you feel and I don't see how you look at others who um, are less fortunate and don't feel a need to somehow help out with that. You know, we're all here to help each other as a community. That's how we all thrive together. I found out my uncle had to have his foot amputated and the hospital wouldn't allow him to come home until he had a wheelchair ramp built to access his front door. And so me and, and my guy, we just, we did the work. Being a part of a blessing that God has put in place is just feeling doesn't touch what the feeling I used to get with drugs. Me and my wife, we wanted to make sure that we live in the community, that we wanted to help. We kind of put this camp together to further give back. So we'd pick them up and be their dads. This is our purpose, to help one another. We've also made some new friends along the way and jumped in where we saw God moving. When you go into the situations that we see, uh, a lot of these families could be refugee families that really have any other items. So what planting seeds do is come in and furnishes their house. We hope that we can give them a better start to life. I've always felt inside me to serve, but I've never done the action of doing it. And City Lights provided me with that action of getting involved in the community. And the first day with helping others, like I was, I was bought. It turns out that some invitations are open in every season.
There's a couple things I want you to note there. Is what Chris said, Chris Horlacher said, is it's not the government's job. It's the church's job to lead the way on this. It's our job. And I really think today the passing by would often be that's the government's job is to take care of that person. And if the church was really doing what's supposed to be doing, the government would need to do less than it's doing. But I also want you to notice what Jake said. Jake said something that's very significant. I always wanted to serve, but City Lights provided the opportunity for me to get involved. And I really believe that. I don't think anyone here today goes, Good Samaritan, <laughs> who needs to serve? I think everybody wants to, but prioritizing it, finding a means by which I can begin to jump in becomes a major hurdle. And what we intended with the City Lights Movement was to say, we want every one of you not to join an organization, the City Lights Movement, Southbrook Church, but to see yourself as a City Light. First, see yourself as the person who has it within them to share the light of Christ in dark places. And so we started this movement with the whole intent that we would say at the end of our run someday, we would say Dayton is a better city because of us and what Christ did through us. That there is more light in the dark places of humanity in Dayton because that little church existed. And that's you. That is you. You may be that unlikely person who needs to be helped today out of your self-absorption and saved from that, saved from the habitual pattern of just doing the American dream and brought into light. Because you see, the thing about this story, the sequel to this is the guy who was beaten is walking down a road one day, right? That's, that's the Good Samaritan part do is that, is that that person then realized, I'll never pass by an opportunity to be a light ever again. And so this series was designed to remind all of us, especially entering into the winter season, that the needs are so great and the light is so accessible every day. And an interesting thing happened this week, and I hope you understand the spirit in which I'm sharing this. So there's a local station that plays Christmas music. And so when I'm in my car, I'll listen to it. And this station this week was pushing, pushing to, for people to give money to help kids who are hungry. And looking back on it now, every time I would, in between the music, they would come on with this push, I would just get irritated. They just let up on the feeding the kids. I know. You're part trusting me in your spiritual journey. I know. But, it, but do you know, I was like, I was like yeah, yeah. And then it hit me. They're talking to you. And so I, I got to my office, and I got the, my phone out, and I, for $144, I could feed four kids for a year. And on, the, and on the, why are you doing this? I just simply put a word, blessed. You know, I've been so blessed. How could I say no? Well, I'm listening to this radio station about 10 minutes later. 
and they go, we want to thank Charlie from Centerville for being so blessed that he gave to these four kids. And I felt stupid that I had <laughs> 10 minutes earlier when they let up on the feeding the kids thing. I want to listen to Christmas music. And then the rest of the week, every single time they came on with $444 fees for kids, I was like, yes. I wasn't irritated. I was glad I was a part of that. And if today and every time we make a call for city lights irritates you, you're the one who needs saved. You're the one who needs saved. In 2009, the University of Rochester did a study of 147 recent university graduates. And it was a longitudinal study to, to look at their lives two years later. And two years later, they classified there were students who just totally had what they called extrinsic goals. I want to make this much money. I want to be having this job in two years. I want to be a success extrinsically. That was their intent. And then there were students they classified as those who had intrinsic goals. I want to have relationships. I want to have a meaningful life. I want to have an impact in two years that validates my existence on this planet. Two really interesting findings. One was, after two years, everybody got they, what they wanted. The ones who wanted extrinsic goals got them. The ones who wanted intrinsic goals, and that's how they patterned their life, they got them. Lesson, you're going to get what you want in life. You're going to get what you want. You may be, in that day, a priest and a Levite were successful people. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. But the second lesson was the people who had intrinsic goals were measurably more happy in life than those who wanted extrinsic goals. No surprise. And so what they suggested was this, and here's what I think we have to craft in a way to do it that doesn't sound corny. They suggested that one of the ways to work your life into an intrinsic mindset, I want to be a city light. I don't want to just be the person who's known for this income, this house, this car. I want to be a city light. Would be when someone asks you, what do you do? That you begin answering that by saying, not what you do in life, but by who you are intrinsically. And you answer it by saying, I'm a mother. I, I'm married. I have three kids. And I'm living to bring light to the world. That that simple notation begins to frame an intrinsic modality in your life. Not, I'm a lawyer, I'm a priest, I'm a Levite, but I'm a light. That's what I want to be. I want to be a light to this world. In Southbrooker, you have that decision to make. Do you know every Sunday you sit in those brown chairs and you don't make a decision to do that, you're more likely every Sunday to become a priest or a Levite. You got all the religious stuff down. You're in. But you keep passing by. And so today we want to do something real hands-on. Leah, 
So Leah is our director of City Lights. She's the catalytic force behind so many things. I wish we had the time, Leah, to tell, just like show the list of everything that the City Lights movement is doing. But a part of the reason we don't do that is we don't want people to think, I have to join this organization to be a City Light, correct? And uh, before you do this, I know, you know, we've wrestled and wrestled with clarity on what it means to be a City Light person. We finally brought it to its irreducible minimum. So what is that irreducible minimum? Explain that again via the story today that you, you were Jesus. Well, how did that feel to be Jesus and, and today? The and the victim. Yeah. yeah, and there is a Christology in that, as yeah. Laura said. Yeah. But to explain now with the new shirts, why this? Why that line? Well, even you can love your neighbor. You all have a neighbor. So it, it's, it is reduced to the minimum of who is my neighbor? Everybody. And who do you want to be your neighbor? You want everybody to be your neighbor. So, and if love is at the center of all we do, because that's what Jesus is about, then it is just as simple as love your neighbor. And your neighbor can also be the person you live with under your roof. And they are sometimes the hardest to love. So we're not moving away from, you know, it's outside of your doors and down the street and around the corner in downtown Dayton. It could really truly be the person next yeah. to you right now on the stage. Yeah. And, and, you know, right now, our neighbors are the people we're sitting with right now. There may yeah. be a need that emerges today because you were at this gathering and you noticed that. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. Yeah. But we want to we flesh that out today. Yeah. We want to make this very real, and someone's going to be city lights <laughs> when they leave here today. So explain yeah. what we're about to do. So um, obviously, we've had the kiosk out for a while, and many of you have stopped by to, to chat with someone. And over the last couple years, really because of what started, you know, very early on in the pandemic, we were feeding a lot of people through our um, m- numerous partnerships with other churches. And then we kind of carried that on for the last couple years with um, Southbrook Serves, what we called Southbrook Serves. And monthly, we were making grocery deliveries. And I just want to say first, thank you to so many of you who faithfully, some of you almost every month signed up to give a family $100 worth of groceries and then deliver them. It was, it was incredible. We got a little tired of that. It was, it was hard to find the volunteers that we needed every month. So we've made some shifts. And so in this next um, year, we set aside specific budget money to just make it easier on you to go and provide food and groceries. So when we have these City Light Sundays, which we'll be doing throughout the year, about six or seven, every six or seven weeks, we want to give you guys an opportunity um, during the service to say yes to a prompting that you have. So I have three $100 gift certificates um, with a grocery list and a family that is in need of groceries today. And so if you feel so compelled, you can come right down here and grab one of these and go shopping today with $100 that's provided. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank right. you. Right. Yes. Good deal. Thank you. Oh, look at that. Look. Oh, Man. oh, 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 I don't know. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Fighting over who hey. can serve. I love this. Yeah. Fight, yeah. yeah. Hey, just so you know, we're be ha- passing out three for the second service, too. My goal is to um, do really 10 each service. Um, but frankly, I was a little nervous. I wasn't sure, but I was hoping that there would be some fighting over those and that everyone would want to jump up. Um, but you still can, because literally today you can love your neighbor by, um, giving someone a smile, baking some cookies, doing something super simple 
prayer walk in your neighborhood. So that's how you be a light. Okay, so here's the deal. You know, no risk it, no biscuit. You got you to gotta start putting <laughs> it into play right now. So we're going to stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to pray. I'm going to close this with a prayer. And you, before you leave today, you find someone to smile at, encourage. Yeah. Love, hug. Hey, can I pray High for five. you? Can I pray for you about that? You know, just just yeah. make the gathering something where what we say should happen happened at the gathering. Correct? Yeah. And uh, sometimes you just got to put yourself out there to do that. Father, it has been very clear, made by your son, that that the most unlikely person who's the hero of the story, which frankly would have infuriated the audience that was listening, is that the fundamentalist terrorist Muslim was the hero of the story. I mean, that's, that's the equivalent. What? It's because you use the most unlikely people who just have the, the ability, availability. They have carved out a priority in their life to say, I am the city light. It is not the government's job first. It is my job as a follower of Christ. In Jesus, we give this to you today and pray that there are lights being lit all over this room today. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.